Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The music played and created inside some of the world's greatest nightclubs has had a lasting impact on the communities around them. Some music has gone on to serve as a form of activism, reaching people around the world and bringing them into a musical lineage that spans generations. Music is powerful. It can shift culture and gives us the tools we need to enact real change. So today, we're going to a club in Nigeria that politicized a whole generation on the dance floor. A musical shrine inside of a nightclub where people would listen to political protests hidden in infectious melodies. When Ricky Stain first encountered the enigmatic musician whose musical legacy would go on to span decades, he was driving through the English countryside in 1979. That was in the back of a van on the M4 motorway, lying in a heap of African dancers on our way back from a gig. Ricky worked in the music industry, coordinating dance troops and musicians as they toured around the world. And he was on the road when he first heard the song that would change the trajectory of his life. Somebody put on a cassette, and it was Sorrow, Tears, and Blood. Do you know that song? Everybody run, run, run. Everybody scatter, scatter. Some people lost some bread. Someone nearly died. Someone just died. Police, they come, hammy, they come. Run, run, run. Everybody scatter, scatter. (laughs) And uh, I was gobsmacked. What the hell? What is this? He instantly felt a connection to the music. The drums, the horns, the infectious melody, and the story the song was telling through its lyrics. Ricky had to know more. I had an African music guru by the name of Jumbo Van Rennen. And uh, I went to see Jumbo and I said, well, who's this guy, Fella? Fella Kuti was the artist behind the song. Ricky didn't know it yet. But the reason why it sounded so unique was because Fella had created a whole new genre called Afrobeat. Jumbo gave Ricky some more music to listen to. 
And he went away and came back with his arm full of these albums, which he scattered around on the floor. And I was just staring at all these amazing, colorful album covers. Afrobeat combined jazz, funk, and soul with inspiration from traditional Yoruba music and West African high life, creating an upbeat sound filled with percussion, jazz horns, chanted vocals, and complex toe-tapping rhythms. I just felt, I don't know, it's almost like I felt like he was talking to me. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Slowly, I started going through them, and I just wanted to meet this guy, you know? And soon enough, he did. Fella was having a concert in London, and a friend of his invited Ricky to meet Fella. I sat down next to Fella, and we just started chatting. And then I can't remember what I said. I said something, and he just spun around and looked at me, and we both looked at each other and started laughing. And that was the beginning of our friendship. Fella was the kind of man who stood at the center of attention in every room he stepped into whose infectious energy made everyone around him shine a little bit brighter. <laughs> he was charismatic, what can I say? I think what really attracted me immediately was this kind of candor. Everything was just clear and straight and direct. They worked on a couple of projects together. Ricky booked Fella for a festival he was organizing, and Fella agreed to join the board of advisors. They moved in similar circles within the African music scene. And then, during a trip to Nigeria, Ricky visited the music venue that Fela called home for the first time, the Africa Shrine. The Africa Shrine was a nightclub, music venue, and community center. Fela would perform there throughout the peak of his career to craft and mold the jazzy but uniquely Nigerian sound he would become known for, Afrobeat. At 2 a.m., Ricky and Fella walked past shops and bars until they reached a road called Pepple Street. And when they did, they headed in the direction of the joyful music floating out into the night. They'd arrived at the Africa Shrine. And it was rammed to the rafters. Ricky was immediately engulfed by the music and allowed himself to become swept up in the moment. The atmosphere was electric. Ministers... Soldiers, not in uniform, ragamuffins, gangsters. There'd be a total cross-section of the community. The band was already playing when we'd arrived. They'd been playing for hours. I immediately headed for the dance floor. Ricky danced along to the band and took in the joy on everybody's faces, marveling at the way they danced with reckless abandon. The energy in the room was infectious. It wasn't just a concert or a party. Ricky was in the midst of a community celebration. Fella would climb up on stage and the whole thing would just take off. It was just uh, magical. You know, it was just a, a magical, wonderful, I could almost say, yeah, I can say spiritual experience. It was paradise for me. From London Audio, iHeartRadio, and executive producer Paris Hilton, this is the history of the world's greatest nightclubs. A 12-part podcast about the iconic venues and people that revolutionized how we party. Let me open up your world. Some of the world's most legendary nightclubs were known for the unique community they welcomed, 
others for the cultural movements they started, and some for the musicians and DJs they introduced to the world. The best nightclubs champion new music, transform lives, and provide an escape from life's pressures. One more thing. This is the history of some of the world's greatest nightclubs, not a ranking of every club in the world. It's an exploration of the spaces, people, and club nights that made a lasting impact on nightlife and music today. I'm your host, Alternate. I'm a singer, songwriter, musician, and I found my purpose in club culture. This is episode 11, the Africa Shrine in Lagos, Nigeria. Fela Kuti was a musician, activist, and revolutionary voice in the midst of one of the most politically turbulent eras in Nigerian history. He pioneered the jazzy, soulful, but uniquely West African sound, Afrobeat and his legacy inspired the creation of the modern musical genre, Afrobeats, with an S. Fela's musical testing ground, political pulpit, and spiritual home was a nightclub he created in Lagos, the Africa Shrine, a venue at the heart of his community that would welcome presidents, be burnt to the ground by the military, set the stage for some of his greatest performances, and inspire some of his most legendary songs. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. For a club like the Shrine to paint a legacy that would last over 50 years, it needed a fierce leader. Fela Kuti was born on October 15th in a town just 50 miles north of the Nigerian capital, Lagos. It was 1938. Nigeria was under the rule of the colonial British Empire and would be until just two weeks before Fela's 22nd birthday. But Fela's political awakening began long before Nigeria's independence. Fela's father was a pastor who stood against British colonial rule, 
and his mother was a fierce activist who organized marches to advocate for women's rights. So it was no surprise that Fela would go on to become one of the country's most prominent political voices. Fela's parents were politically active, but he'd also come from a long line of musicians. My name is Yeni Anikolakokuti. I am the first child and first daughter of Fela. My father was born into a legacy. My great-grandfather was a musician. Then my grandfather was a musician, even though he was a reverend as well. Then they have Fela, who was another huge legacy. Seven generations of musicians. Even though Fela came from a musically gifted family, his parents wanted a stable future for him. So they sent him to the UK to become a doctor in the late 1950s. But not long after he arrived in England, Fela decided to study music instead. And then he started his first band, Fela Ransom Cootie and his High Life Rakers. And his music was loved, I mean, by the people who heard it in Nigeria and elsewhere in the world as time went by. He was inspired by High Life and the traditional Yoruba music he'd heard growing up in Nigeria and the American jazz, funk, and soul he'd heard and studied while he was abroad. Fela brought together his favorite elements of both, put his own unique spin on them, and created a new genre, Afrobeat. But Fela didn't just want to make music for dancing and celebration. Fela wanted to make music with lyrics that felt like rallying cries. Fela was the greatest proponent of communication by virtue of music and used his music as a weapon to attack any form of injustice, social injustice or corruption. Nigeria had won its independence in 1960, but Fela had a lot of issues with the Nigerian government that had replaced colonial rule. So he used music to share his political message. You know, I see his... Music as a, it was like a chariot. I, I describe it as a chariot in which his message could ride because the message was really talking about the things that needed to be talked about, naming names, talking about corruption, mismanagement in a way that was so attractive to people because it had this amazing beat behind it. His music directly called the government out. But Fela executed it with so much joy and soul that the message quickly reached a wide audience. So even if you're not listening to the words, you're, you're bopping to the music, you can't help yourself. And the words, you'll find yourself singing them. That's what made each of his songs feel so powerful. They were vibrant musical acts of resistance. As Fela looked around at the corruption, the hoarded wealth and government officials who lived lavish lives while ordinary Nigerians suffered, he started to speak and sing with even more precision. It was like criticizing so many things uh, about government. My name is Mabinori Kayode Ido, but everybody calls me ID. In 1974, a friend invited ID to a gathering at Fella's house. When they met, they locked eyes. His eyes came one-on-one -on, -one on me, you know. ID hadn't met Fela before, but everybody in Lagos knew Fela. He was one of the most famous people in Nigeria, so ID was starstruck. For me, it was the last thing I expected, you know. I hear he was uh, uh, talking to me direct, you know. 
I didn't know how to reply easily. The only thing that came to my mind was, no, sir. It felt like the right thing to say, right? Nigerian culture had raised ID to respect his elders. So in the middle of the conversation, he called fella, sir. And you know, it was like putting uh, petrol in fire because fella busted out. Nobody in this house addresses me like, sir, my name is Fela, you call me Fela. Fela hated the idea of treating people with deference just because of who they were. Whether that was an elder, a soldier, or a famous musician. So he told ID that. He was explaining a relationship between the younger generation and the older generation of Africans, you know, in our society, how they teach us to, by through fear, to respect older folks instead of uh, creating natural respect between between uh, older folks and the younger. But this discussion went on like for like three hours, you know. And they quickly built up a friendly rapport. So fellas started to ask ID about his life. He said, uh, I did, what are your plans for the future? And I said, oh, I want to go to the university to study philosophy or history. And then he started to pick my <laughs> Oh, you want to go and study all those Socrates, Aristotle? And I felt, oh, yes, I am on equal grounds with him. Let's just say, Fella had a lot to say about European philosophy. So he spent the rest of the night teaching ID about Afrocentrism, the Black Power movement, and the African history they hadn't been taught at school. That conversation completely changed the trajectory of ID's life. He was enrolled to start college at the University of Nigeria. But what Fela taught him made him question everything. That's why today, if there's anything I owe to Fela, I think I owe him the fact that he gave me political and historical consciousness. So all this kind of uh, uh, opened my mind, uh, my vision. I said, F-U-C-K, Nigerian University. ID wasn't the only young person to have a political awakening after speaking to Fela and hearing his lyrics. Fela was encouraging young people to question the systems that governed them, to reject the status quo, and think for themselves, to be independent and to seek freedom in every area of their lives. He literally had a song called Teacher Don't Teach Me Nonsense, calling out the education system. And it wasn't long before the authorities that fellow was speaking out against started to feel threatened by him. ID still remembers a warning an acquaintance of theirs gave him. You know what he said? He said, tell the brother to be careful. Because the word within the high government circles is that they had to do something to stop Fela because all the youths are dressing the way he dresses, smoking what he smokes, and uh, beginning to react like him. And if they don't stop him, uh, it could become a revolution in the country. But Fela's music, his conversations, his lectures, and the community surrounding him didn't have a home. For a while, Fella played regular gigs at a venue called Kakadu Nightclub, but the owner banned him from performing because he was scared of government retaliation. But Fella had an ally in a club owner, Chief Kanu. Chief Kanu owned another nightclub. It was called Empire Hotel at that time. 
The Empire Hotel hosted a bunch of different traveling bands in the 60s. All the big bands, even Ghana bands, you know, Ramblas Dance Band, uh, Ichi Mensa. So they welcomed the chance to have Fela create his own venue there in a heartbeat. Why don't you bring your club home? You live just 50 meters away from... <laughs> and Fela said, oh, it's a good idea. It was so close to Fela's home that he traveled there in an unconventional way. He used to ride from uh, his house to the club on a donkey at a leisurely pace down the middle of the road, blocking all the traffic with huge crowds cheering, Fela, Abami, chief priest, uh, until he got to the club. Fela built an open-air venue in the courtyard of the former Empire Hotel. But it needed a new name. So Fela rechristened it and named it The Shrine. He named it The Shrine because it wasn't just a music venue. It was a spiritual place and a political platform that would go on to encompass the values that were so deeply intertwined with his community and who he was. Fela had been raised as the son of a pastor, and as he got older, he began to embrace elements of the traditional Yoruba spirituality. Here's his daughter, Yeni, again. From there, he started to develop his Africanism, his spiritual ideology. He built a religious shrine inside the venue complete with candles, statues, names of spirits, and an altar. It now became more of a place of worship, not just a place to perform, but a place of worship. That's why on Saturdays, he he worshipped at the shrine before any performance. He had to prepare spiritually before he could bring his all musically. And that was why you always hear him say, my music is not for entertainment, my music is to spread a message. And that was most evident on Friday nights at the Shrine. Friday night was Yabis night, where Fela used to banter with the audience, in fact, encourage the audience to talk about issues of the day. On Yabis nights, he'd welcome talks about politics and the state of modern-day Nigeria. The audience was made up of regular members of the community, from teachers to shopkeepers, farmers to students. It was like a weekly town hall with music. And the discussions Fela had at those Yabis nights served as the inspiration for some of his greatest songs. Discussions that were held in the shrine would give him ideas, then he would go and write the lyrics, come back in and start, you know, the the process of recording. And one of the songs that was inspired by those Yabis nights at the shrine set the trajectory of the rest of Fela's life. It was the song Zombie. Fela released Zombie in 76. And I mean, the album was really a big success all over Nigeria. It had an infectious rhythm and the kind of beat that made you want to get up and dance. But it was also very political. Fela described the Nigerian military as a walking dead. You know, zombies. Listen to the lyrics. Zombie no go think, unless you tell him to think. The song compared the military to zombies. Zombies who went around obeying orders without thinking. The lyrics were purposefully provocative because to Fela, the military were just political puppets and he wasn't afraid to say so. 
the military, they are not there to protect the people, but to, to, to protect those in power. Fela already had enemies in high places for his outspoken personality, but releasing a catchy, upbeat earworm of a song with politically charged lyrics was even bolder. And it wasn't long before people all across the country were singing along, inspired to fight back, to stand up for their rights. But that song put a target on Fela's back. The authorities decided that they had had enough of Fela and the influence the music coming out of the shrine was having on young Nigerians. And on February 18th, 1977, ID was at the shrine working on a political newspaper that he and Fela started. I was just like trying to sit down when I heard this big noise. There had allegedly been a fight between a soldier and one of Fela's drivers. So the soldier had gone to Fela's house to confront the driver, but he'd returned with backup and things escalated quickly. I came out and saw more soldiers were beginning to arrive on the spot. And then before we knew it, we just saw about a thousand soldiers, you know, armed with all kinds of weapons, blocking all the streets. ID watched as Fela tried to call out for help, but the soldiers had begun their attack. A thousand soldiers, those quote-unquote zombies, had surrounded Fela's house and the shrine. And that day, they carried out a full military attack on dozens of civilians. They beat everybody up, set the place on fire. Remember the song that Ricky heard at the start of the episode, Sorrow, Tears, and Blood? Fela released that song not long after the attack in 1977. And that's what the scene at Fela's home and the shrine that day was. Sorrow, tears, and blood. It was a brutal attack. People were arrested. The soldiers violently beat dozens of residents up. And in an act of pure cruelty, they threw Fela's 77-year-old mother out of a second-floor window. Mrs. Fumilayo Anikolapukuti, who fought her blood for this country on the street, this government... Threw my mother out of window. She died soon after. Fella was beaten up until he was unconscious. Then they poured highly flammable liquid all over the shrine, set a match, and burned it to the ground. And he did everything to stop the fella from spreading the message. Fella didn't perform in Nigeria again for a while. The shrine had been burnt down, and almost every other venue in the country was terrified of the intimidation and retaliation they might face if they hosted a fella concert. But while they'd attacked him, hurt his friends, and killed one of the people he loved the most, the authorities couldn't beat fella into submission or scare him into silence. Because the musical, spiritual, and political fire that ran through every element of fella's life was a fire that just couldn't be put out. And the shrine? It would have a second life. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 
24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. After the shrine burned down, Fella spent two years touring the world and singing songs that inspired people to reevaluate the truths they had been told and the systems that governed them. Because Fella carried a spirit of activism through everything he did. When he returned to Nigeria, he decided to reclaim his place as one of the most thrilling performers in the country by opening a new shrine. But this time he built it from the ground up. He bought a plot of land on Pepple Street, created a new venue, and named it the Africa Shrine. The Africa Shrine wasn't just a music venue. It was a community center, too. People who are down and out or think that they're down and out or think they don't have anywhere to go, their first port of call is the shrine. The shrine created jobs for dozens of local Lagosians. It was free entry for most of the week, and if people didn't have a safe roof to sleep under, the shrine welcomed them with open arms. I mean, we have even got someone from Rwanda before, during the Rwanda war. He was a refugee during the Rwanda genocide in 1994. He was a very nice guy, I still remember him. He lived at the shrine for a couple of years. The Africa Shrine stood at the center of its community. Fella mapped out a weekly schedule with the community in mind. Fella performed there around four times a week, but each night had its own specific community-oriented focus. Sunday Jump was particularly designed for students so that they could uh, sneak out and back to campus before the prefects came calling. It was a day when families could bring their children to enjoy the music too. The timing was 6 to 10 p.m., Then there was Tuesday. Tuesday was ladies' night. In other words, ladies could come in free, although their boyfriends had to pay. Fridays were still Yabis nights, where Fela would welcome social and political conversations. And then came Saturday. Saturday night was the comprehensive show. That was when the musicians wore costumes and Fela presented a choreographed dance stage performance with all of the dancers and singers. I mean, every night was just the same magic, you know? Despite ongoing political intimidation and resistance to the message he was trying to share, Fella just kept on making music. Over the course of his life, Fella released over 50 albums. Not 15, 50, 5-0. Music flowed through his veins, and on Saturday nights, he brought that musical mastery onto stage. 
Those nights were a spectacle because Fella was a legendary performer, a true master of his craft. Soundcheck, he would personally tune every instrument, which is quite unusual for an art, but he knew what it was he wanted to listen to. He would perform for hours at a time with a full band and a whole troupe of dancers. And when he performed at the Africa Shrine, it was almost always new unreleased music because the Africa Shrine was his musical testing ground for new ideas. In the shrine, during, in the afternoon, there'd be a hundred or so the real aficionados. He would develop the song. Once the song was developed, he'd start to play it in the shrine. And he would sing it for maybe a month, two months, three months. Trying out new musical compositions and instruments to different crowds at the Africa Shrine until he tailored the song to perfection. But then he'd say, ah, how many times can I sing about Margaret Thatcher? (laughs) He would then go into the studio to record. And once that song was recorded, that was it. The song, bye-bye. Once a song was solidified, recorded and released on an album, that was it. He was on to the next thing. You come to him, after that, play me Shakara. You say, go and buy the record. <laughs> oh, after that, play me Lady. You say, oh, go and buy the record, you know? Which made each night at the Africa Shrine feel even more special. It was new music. It was a fleeting experience. It was like being a member of a secret club. So people from all around the world would come to watch Fela perform at the Africa Shrine, including Stevie Wonder, Bootsy Collins, and James Brown's band. Even a former member of the Beatles left the Africa Shrine feeling inspired. Yeah, well, according to Paul... And by Paul, Ricky means Paul McCartney. He said, but when he started, the band started to play, I cried, I wept. He said, I never heard of any band in the world anything like this before. For Fella's birthday, Ricky asked musicians who loved him to talk about their favorite songs. And Paul got back to him and said, I don't remember the name of this song, but I remember the riff. And he's talking about something 35 years earlier, and he played this riff. Here's the clip of Paul trying to remember that song he'd heard Fella play over 35 years ago. So this is what I remember from the shrine, but the riff was definitely this. And I immediately knew which song it was, Why Black Man They Suffer. In fact, I sent it to him. That's the thing about the Africa Shrine. The music people heard there really struck them. It was spiritual. It got into their bones, made them sing, made them think, gave them a new perspective on the world. Yeni Kuti, Fela's daughter, grew up spending nights at the Africa Shrine, and she really felt the spirituality of her father's performances there. When Fela was alive, I went to the shrine at least once a week, sometimes twice. To watch him dancing across the stage, commanding the audience's attention and creating an atmosphere that pulled people out onto the dance floor and connected them to a higher power. I'd seen Fela from the early performances when I was a kid, when he was young and danced and was vibrant, to when he got older. 
and slower, but still enigmatic. Over the course of his life, Fellow was arrested 200 times, spent 20 months in prison, and was banned from contesting in Nigeria's presidential election. But Fella persisted and played his spiritual, political music at the Africa Shrine for the rest of his life, until life caught up with him. He died in 1997 from complications related to AIDS. He was only 58. But his children grew up watching his speeches and musical performances at the Africa Shrine. And the values their father taught them stuck with them. Integrity. Integrity is, I think, one of the most important. Spirituality, knowing who you are. So much of knowing who you are is knowing where you came from and passing that legacy down to future generations. It's a heavy task to carry, but when Fela died, his children knew that continuing the legacy of their father's music and the Africa Shrine was one of the greatest ways that they could honor their father. I don't think the creator is wicked. So what they put on your lap is what you can do. So I, I think that this task that I've been given is not beyond me. And I do enjoy upholding that legacy. I enjoy it and I believe it's my duty. When Fela died in 1997, his eldest daughter, Yeni Kuti, along with his eldest son, Femi Kuti, decided they wanted to keep the Africa Shrine and Fela's physical legacy alive. But they ran into a problem. The funny thing about the old Africa Shrine was that Fela had built it. He had paid for a lease on the land. And the lease was, I think, maybe 20 years. By the time he died, the lease had expired, but he built the shrine. So the building was his. The land belonged to this family. And once Fela died, he wanted to retain it. But the original owners of the land refused, saying that the land wouldn't be passed down to the Kuti family. We begged them, we offered them money, they wanted their land back. I think they were just bent on killing the dream and killing the heritage. They, they had this thing against Fela, so they were just like, no, no, no. They tried everything. We sent people, we went ourselves, we did everything to try and get them to let us keep the old shrine. And they didn't. We just said, okay, let's cut our losses, let's go and look for land. They decided to build a new shrine and traveled around Lagos looking for a plot of land to call home. But they couldn't just build it anywhere. It had to be special. My brother was going around looking for the land and every time he would come and say, I found this place. And he would call me and say, come and see this one. I'll just say, no, I, I, this one is not it. And we found one piece and it was okay, but it was not perfect. I was like, hey, it's okay, but let's still be looking. And he got angry. Why do I go, George? We have been fighting and don't know about the place. You can't get. I said, I'm sorry, I just. And then one day he said, oh, he's found this piece of land, I should come. And I went there and I saw this piece of land and I said, this is it. This is perfect. This is the shrine. And uh, the rest is history. 
people came with all kinds of ideas. You know, this exotic with fountains and this and that. We said, no, what we want is what was at the old shrine. What we did is try and recreate that spiritual feeling that you had when you went to the old shrine. That feeling of coming home, that feeling of, I'm very comfortable here. This is a comfortable space. So they painted the building with bright colors. Orange and yellow and colors. Those are my father's favorite colors. And they covered the walls with fellas' messages. I used to go to a lot of my father's lectures. And, you know, they were on Africanism. They were on being African and proud and being Black and proud. So they took snippets from those lectures and quotes their father loved and had artists paint the words onto the walls. man who doesn't know where he's coming from will not know where he's at or where he's going. Fear is not for man. But they didn't just feature the feel-good inspiring quotes. They chose the deeply political ones too. Like scathing criticisms fell ahead about the former Nigerian president. One said, Obasanjo is a fool. You know, so we have that for <laughs> posterity. Fella spent his whole life inspired by other Black activists who his children wanted to honor too. So they hung photos of the giants whose shoulders their father had stood on. We have Malcolm X, we have Marcus Garvey, we have Kwame Nkrumah, Martin Luther King, Thomas Sankara, Fela. But Fela's political legacy wasn't just songs and quotes. Throughout his life, he and the Africa Shrine were the target of violent attacks and unfair closures. So when his children opened the new Africa Shrine, that became a target too. It was really hard. A couple of times they shut us out of the shrine. They locked the doors and didn't let us go in. It was very hard. The authorities would find petty reasons to shut the club down. They said it was too loud or there were too many people inside. It was really difficult I, I, because, you know, a lot of people survive from the shrine. So when you lock it, you remove the food from a lot of mouths, a lot of mouths, hundreds. But after a few years of being open and making it clear that they weren't going anywhere, the new Africa shrine began to thrive under the ownership of Fela's children. They opened the new Africa Shrine in 2000. It's just imbued with fellas' spirit. It's just, a, there's this feeling in the air. I take people there that have never been there before. And then I turn around and look at the person that I've brought, and they're just standing there with their mouth open. Yanni's brothers have continued their father's musical legacy. Femi Kuti, fellas' oldest son, performs on Sundays. Sean Kuti, Fela's youngest son performs on the last Saturday of every month. And Fela's grandson, Made, performs there on the last Friday of every month. It makes me happy. I cry, especially when I watch my nephew. It makes me cry. Because, first of all, my parents are not alive to see him, and I wish they were. Secondly, I just watch the legacy growing, and it just, my heart swells. It brings tears to my eyes. The shrine has also inspired a new generation. A lot of young musicians, a lot of young musicians, it's their dream to perform, you know, because they, they feel that 
that is where their career has to be launched. Fella pioneered the genre Afrobeat, the soulful, jazzy, high-life-inspired music we've been listening to throughout this story. But what Fella created went on to inspire the modern musical genre Afrobeats, with an S. Chances are, if you have listened to a rap or pop station today, you have heard some Afrobeat songs. The genre exported from Africa is now burning up the charts, but some of the songs now popular came out months or even years ago. Afrobeats is the genre of popular contemporary West African music that skyrocketed into the charts over the past few years, with songs like Fall by Davido, Essence by Thames and Wizkid, and Last Last by Burna Boy. In fact, some of those musicians got their first big shot at the new Africa Shrine. Davido's first performance, where he became known, was at the Shrine. You know, he came the first year and he begged to climb on stage. And by the next year, he was fully blown. And he came, he says, yes, I begged last year to come. and said, now you are begging me to come on stage. Whiskey, Whiskey came on, he was a backup singer. Today, look at him. And Burna Boy had one of his early performances there. I remember Burna Boy's first performance. His grandfather called me. I want my grandson to play at the shrine. Afro Beats sounds quite different to the Afro Beat that Fella created. You can hear more hip-hop and R&B influences in it. And it's not as political as Fella's music was. But the sound that Fella created still lives on in the music. Fella came from a long line of musicians. And after his death, that baton just continued to pass down from generation to generation, inspiring young musicians to put their own twist on it as his music continued to reach new listeners around the globe. And I've, you know, on many occasions have been in a position to introduce somebody to Fellow's music that hasn't heard it before. And it's always the same thing. They're just hooked <laughs> immediately. I've never met anybody that says, oh, yeah, it wasn't all that. No, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I mean, music is an extraordinary means of communication, isn't it? One that we, I think, need in our lives. Fella's legacy lives on through the music. The sound he created at the Africa Shrine has been passed down across generations, influencing new styles and genres. And the fiercely political stance he took in his lyrics continues to inspire people in Nigeria and around the world. His song, Beasts of No Nation, became a rallying cry for a wave of protests in Nigeria in 2020. Legacy is something that Yeni and her siblings think about a lot as they teach their family about the rich heritage they came from. You know, this is your grandfather. You are born into a very great legacy, you know. So I think it's important that we start talking to our children, our grandchildren, so that they understand the power and the responsibility of that legacy. So the Kuti siblings have put it in their wills that nobody can sell the new Africa shrine that it will be passed down through the Kuti family line. I hope that they will know the kind of legacy that they have been born into and they will continue that legacy. Africa Shrine must remain for generations to come. In the next and final episode of the history of the world's greatest nightclubs, we're heading to Japan and spending a night at Woon, the international super club at the heart of Tokyo. 
The History of the World's Greatest Nightclubs is produced by Neon Hum Media for London Audio and iHeartRadio. For London Audio, our executive producers are Paris Hilton, Bruce Robertson, and Bruce Gersh. The executive producer for Neon Hum is Jonathan Hirsch. Our producer is Rufaro Faith Mazarura. Navani Ontero and Liz Sanchez are our associate producers. Our series producer is Crystal Genesis. Our editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager, and Alexis Martinez is our production coordinator. This episode was written by Rafaro Faith Mazarura and fact-checked by Catherine Nuhan. Theme and original music by Asha Ivanovich. Our sound design engineers are Sam Baer and Josh Hahn. I'm your host, Alternate, and we'll see you next time on the history of the world's greatest nightclubs. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.